Welcome to What I Wish I Knew by Dental Head Start, your weekly mentoring session thanks to cpdjunkie.com.au. I'm Bridget Wall and I'm here with my co-host, David Keir. How do you go, David, brushing your daughter's teeth? (laughs) Such a good question. Um, Some days, honestly, I don't know how we get it done so well and then other days there's absolutely no chance. And so my daughter, she's less than two. She's still under two. Um, She's got um, her, she's got 16 teeth. So we've got to brush these teeth and it's really important and it's really hard in a toddler. And the other thing is parents, particularly our friends with other kids similar age, it's a really important topic to parents and they ask us a lot of questions about this. And to be honest, sometimes you can do it really well, but it's more about the techniques we give to help those parents do it better. And this is something I'm glad you asked because I'm really, really passionate about this with kids. It's not about us fixing their teeth, although that's an important part of what we do for kids. It's about setting them up with good oral hygiene habits, good preventative habits and coming to the dentist. And I think that's so important. Definitely. I find that, you know, I don't have kids myself. So when parents are asking me some of these questions about um, what they should do and how they should manage the situation, you know, I haven't been in the bathroom with a two-year-old trying to brush their teeth yet. So I can't always relate. But I think it is really important for us to make sure that we are really well informed and up to date with how we can best educate those parents to give these kids the best sort of dental health start in life. On the podcast today, we've got a paediatric dentist from the Sunshine Coast, Dr. Tim Keyes, and he's really passionate about this as well. And and he's actually got a blog site called Kids Dental Tips where he shares tips for parents but also for general dentists as well to help us to become the best dentists that we can for our paediatric patients. So today Tim has got a um, wealth of advice and tips on how we can best educate um, parents and patients on their oral health and oral hygiene. Such important stuff. I'm really looking forward to this one and we'll link the website in the show notes so it's worth checking out. All right, so the final topic we're going to talk about is is arguably probably the most important of the two that we've discussed, okay? So what we're going to cover here is the oral hygiene, oral habits, uh, tongue ties for kids, just all your sort of basic stuff for young kids, okay? I reckon that a few people have probably already just turned the podcast off when they do this sort of <laughs> stuff. Sarah and I do like a blog with advice on um that we, we try and do. And you can see, you know, at the end of every month, you see how many people, you know, 1,000 people looked at this, 2,000 looked at this. We did one on fluorites uh, and it got well and truly the lowest <laughs> number of people. People don't like this topic. However, it is the most important thing we do, okay? One thing that's not taught very well at our schools is cariology, okay? But this is all we do in dentistry. And anything, you know, the 95% of what we do is related to cariology. The fact that we're doing crowns or something down the track is due to the fact that they had a big amalgam place because they had a hole, okay? So you cannot do good dentistry if you don't understand why you're doing the dentistry. So we do need to do just a really brief review of the caries because the concepts have changed, okay? It used to be viewed as a strep mutans infection. Don't kiss your kid. Don't share um, utensils with your kid. You're going to infect them with caries. And look, you know, personally, if I was a parent and I went into a dentist with my two-year-old who's got a couple of holes and be like, hey, look, you've got bad oral hygiene, you've got bad oral health yourself. You've infected this child with your bad oral health. Immediately, 
I guarantee you, eight out of ten of those parents are out that door. Mm-hmm. Okay, they think you've got no concept of understanding their scenario because it's really not a very feasible thing to say. Don't kiss your kid. Okay, that, that doesn't is not not feasible, and it, it has no real relevance. Okay, at some point you can still pick up the bacteria, and it is all just to do with dysbiosis. You cannot get rid of all the bacteria in ma- in the mouth, which means we cannot cure any one of decay. Mm-hmm. The average adult in Australia eats 60 to 70 kilograms of sugar a year. The highest consumption of sugar is 14 to 16-year-olds, which is up to about, you know, there's a percentage of them that will eat over 100 kilograms of sugar a year. Yeah. Okay? So we cannot in a Western society ever cure anyone of decay. What we need to do is promote a healthy oral environment. So the bad bacteria, the acid-producing and acid-tolerant bacteria, of which strep mutans is just one of them, mm-hmm. are less prevalent in the mouth and not able to flourish as well. Okay, so what do we do? And this is why we have to have a discussion with our parents about diet and oral hygiene habits mm-hmm. because any restorative material that you use will fail if you don't address that. Yeah. Okay, so this will make your restorative materials much more successful. And I promise you, it will not take very long if you did it. It'll take a couple of minutes for each appointment, okay? So we, if we're having a discussion about diet, one thing as well with parents is no one wants to be told what they should or shouldn't do. Mm-hmm. Okay? Particularly if you're a new grad, you're probably unlikely to have kids yourself, yeah. which means you, you know, immediately you might get parents saying, hey, do you have kids? And you say, no, 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 no. And they say, well, you've got no idea what it's like to have a screaming kid and the only thing that's going to make them happy is a juice. Yeah. Right. And you say, okay, well, you're right. I don't have a back. So your, your conversation, like anything you're doing, is, is more moving towards that motivational interviewing. You want the person to make the decision for themselves mm-hmm. with your advice. Okay. Yep. So, and it may be that you do want to not be judgmental. So it is, hey, is it okay if we just have a discussion about um, some diet and oral hygiene and stuff? Mm-hmm. And the parents will generally say, yeah, that's fine. So, okay, cool. At the end of the day, this all comes down to risk. It is not me telling you what you should or shouldn't do. I'm going to provide you with some information and then we can work out what, what, what you're able to do and what you're not able to do. Mm-hmm. And we'll just adjust the program based on that. For example, someone that is nocturnal breastfeeding on a three-year-old, the kid will only sleep if they're going to sleep on the boob mm-hmm. or they'll wake up three or four times throughout the night. That will cause decay. Lactose is a sugar. It will, can be fermented. Okay, so you just give that information to them and say, look, but I understand you've got to sleep. Yeah. So ideally, it would be wonderful if you're able to reduce that. But if you're unable to reduce that, perhaps uh, we might just need to see you a little bit more frequently. Mm-hmm. And we might just need to reduce sugar exposures in other areas throughout the day, including fruits and fructose and that sort of stuff. Yeah. And then you can move on to why we use fluoride. Okay, fluoride works in two ways. Number one, it increases the acid resistance of the tooth, which we all know, okay? So the tooth dissolves less. The second thing is it actually lowers the um, level at which the tooth remineralizes. So the tooth will remineralize more easily. Okay, so you all of us will encounter anti-fluoride um, parents in, in our travels, okay? I will still ask their permission, can we still just discuss what we can do to prevent the problems that I'm seeing and you do what you like with the information, but I just need mm-hmm. honest response because that's going to help me work out what the risk factors are for your child, okay? Yep. And you'll actually find probably about one in two will actually start using fluoride toothpaste. Mm-hmm. Okay, the other one too will say, hey, stuff you, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to believe you, okay? 
But you just explain what it is, what, why it's going to work well. And it's much easier if you, the kids actually got problems. Yeah. Because then you say, hey, look, well, I can't I can't prevent decay. Like I can't, I can fix the problem, but it's mm-hmm. going to keep happening unless we do yeah. some things. Mm-hmm. And then I'll just explain, if you don't want to use fluoride, that's fine. You essentially have to have a, an immaculate diet. Okay, you have to really reduce those sugar exposures. Okay, so the question is, what level of fluoride in a toothpaste is effective? Okay, and all the evidence is 1,000 parts per million. All the fluoride toothpaste in Australia, with the exception of one brand made for kids under six, is six, are 600 parts per million. Yeah. There is little evidence that stops decay. Mm-hmm. So we got, therefore, in a country in Australia, we eat 60 to 70 kilograms of sugar and we use a fluoride toothpaste that doesn't have much evidence that it works. Yeah. No wonder it's at where the, these parents are up against it and they come yeah. in and say, I cannot understand why my kids got um, holes. I brush yeah. every day. Mm-hmm. Therefore, what do you need to do? You need to use a six-plus toothpaste, mm-hmm. even on a 12-month-old. Okay. Okay? Yeah. But the only brand that decided that stuff you, you're the Australian market, you're too small, we're not going to reformulate our toothpaste too much, was McLean's. They're okay. four to six or little teeth yeah. have enough fluoride. They're a 1,000 parts per million, okay? The issue with a lot of the adult strength toothpaste is that they're too spicy. They're all minty for kids, mm-hmm. okay, which is why, um, you know, you might find that you go down that pathway of McLean's because they, they tend to be a little bit less spicy. Okay. Or you want the six plus ones from Colgate or Oral-B yep. and some of them aren't too spicy. Mm-hmm. The other option is you can use Tooth Boost Plus. It has 900 parts per million of fluoride, so it's getting closer to that 1,000, uh, but obviously it's hideously expensive. You know, who wants to buy a tube of $30 worth of toothpaste? So when do you want to start using a fluoride toothpaste on a child? You want to start the moment a tooth's through. Mm-hmm. They, they don't have compliance. You have to hold them down which means they get used to the taste. Yeah. Okay. Um, You want to use a tiny, tiny smear, a grain of rice under the age of three. And that's why we can use a stronger toothpaste, okay, because we're not using much. Mm -hmm. From three to about six, you use about a half a pea moving up to a pea-sized amount and six plus pea-sized amount. Yep. Like anything we discussed with parents, it is a medication, okay? Mm-hmm. It needs to be used under supervision and it needs to be used in an appropriate amount. Yep. Panadol is really effective at stopping headaches. But if you have 20 Panadol, you're in big trouble. Fluoride is very effective at stopping decay, mm-hmm. but you need to use the appropriate amount. Yep. And I'm happy to share with you guys the information sheets we give to our parents, which have photos of how much fluoride we want them to use, and it has the names um, of the toothpaste that they, they they can use, which are less offensive for kids, okay? Yeah, that would be really uh, great. The other thing that you, you're commonly not taught at dental school is, is fluoride varnish. Mm-hmm. Fluoride varnish is one of the most effective things we have and has the highest level of evidence, Cochrane Review. Mm-hmm. If you have a population with roughly 50% caries, which is around about Australia, if every kid had twice applications of fluoride varnish, you would cut the decay rate to under 10%. It is the most effective thing we have. So even if a person brings their kid in and they're two or three and they say, can you just look at my kid's teeth? And it's a nightmare and, you know, there's lots of little tips and tricks you can use to get through that examination. If you've only got one shot at it, talk to the parent about all this stuff prior before the kid starts crying, right? And then also say to them, hey, look, while we're here, we're going to put some fluoride varnish on, Mm -hmm. okay? The kid's not going to have an overdose of fluoride. You know, you use an appropriate amount that's dispensed out. I yeah. tend to find that most kids don't like Durafat. The taste is a bit 
um, full on. Yeah. Um, so they, there are some other ones. You can get bubblegum flavors from a company oh, called Ipana, I-P-A-N-A, yeah. uh, and they're like an individual dose for kids. So yeah. if you've got a really small kid, you just use a small amount of it, right? Fluoride gels are not appropriate for kids. Mm-hmm. Um, fluoride um, foams, the only reason you'd ever use that is if you wanted to make your boss more money. <laughs> cheap they're not effective okay yeah. so it has to be fluoride varnish yeah you put that on you explain to the parent why you're doing it you tell the kid not to eat for an hour or two and just by doing that you've cut that kid's cancer getting decay from 50 percent to under 10 percent simplest thing you can do mm-hmm. okay uh, and that will uh, all those things that are really going to help reduce that chance of you having complications and problems aesthetics is not just prepping teeth If we want to be minimally invasive, we need to use aligners or some sort of orthodontics to put the teeth in the right place before we change their form. And of course, the pioneer of this is Invisalign. They've got the most experience, the most cases have gone through their platform and the most in-depth tools to use to get your patients from where they are to where they want to be. Once you're ready to provide aligners, Invisalign Go is the perfect entry point. It's the first step in becoming an Invisalign provider, allowing you to do relatively simple cases effectively and efficiently with their online tools. Go to invisalign-doctor.com.au to start your aligner journey today. So the next thing that I just want to move on to now is is sort of oral habits, okay? Yeah. So dummy sucking, thumb sucking, um, look, realistically, interestingly, dummy sucking for kids is actually preventive against SIDS. There's a little bit of evidence that dummy sucking for kids will stop, will reduce the incidence of SIDS. So, um, and then once the habits form, perhaps it might be hard to break. Mm-hmm. Is it something that you need to bang on about and try and break? Not necessarily in a young age group, okay? You may see um, some orthodontic issues arising. For example, that sort of anterior open bite if the kid starts getting to three, three and a half, four. Mm-hmm. And that's a bit of motivation then that you can use for why we should stop this. You yeah. really need to stop it before the adult teeth come through. Yeah. That's your primary thing. All these dummies that are marketed as orthodontic safe dummies that they help your child's mouth grow, it's all crock. Okay. Yeah. There's no, they don't work. It doesn't really matter what they use. Okay. So you have the discussion with the parent. As the child gets older, you can have the discussion with the child and I'd strongly encourage you. There's no way you can break a habit in a child if they're not on board with it. Yeah. So they're five. Pretty girl comes in. She's wearing a nice Elsa dress, okay? She obviously yep. cares about her appearance, <laughs> mm-hmm. which means that then you can get some photos and say, hey, look at this. This is, this is an ugly smile. Yep. This girl sucked her thumb when she was a big girl, when she was six. Mm-hmm. And look at this. She's got that for life. That looks really ugly. Doesn't yeah. it? She'll say, yeah, it does. We'll tell me. Say, look, you don't want to have a smile like that. You're so beautifully dressed here today. You've got a great smile. I love seeing you. We don't want that to happen, do we? She'll say, of course not. Okay. Okay. But I need you to help me out. Well, I need you to stop sucking your thumb. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I'll say, oh, okay, I'll try. But I forget. Sometimes I'm just tired at sleep and that sort of stuff, right? Yeah. So what can you do? I'd, the band-aids and that sort of stuff don't tend to work too well. The, the creams and stuff you can put, the lemony-like creams on thin fingers don't tend to work as well either. It's winter at the moment. Great. The parents can staple or sew the end of the um, their nightgown or, or long-sleeve shirt shut. Mm-hmm. Easiest thing. That habit will be broken in about two weeks. Yeah. 
Okay, any appliance that you use in the mouth is not really acceptable anymore. Yeah. All these ones you might have seen in dental school with like spikes and stuff, yeah. and cages <laughs> and stuff. Like honestly, they, they look like torture devices, yeah. and, and they really wouldn't be that acceptable no. if you got a kid who's like seven or eight or nine or ten. Um, there may also be some other reasons why they're sucking their thumb. Mm-hmm. Okay, much more deeper psychological things about a ten-year-old sucking their thumb. Yeah. Then something that you put an appliance in. Yeah. And for sure. maybe that might mean that it might be a bit out of your league to manage mm-hmm. that because there's a big psychological component that might be going into this. Okay. Yeah. Um, but the vast majority, you, I promise you'll be able to stop and school's going to stop it as well. So don't yeah. stress too much about it. Don't stress the parents about it too much. Yeah. Just have a nice open conversation with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The final one is tongue ties. Right, super controversial. And I can guarantee I'm going to annoy some people (laughs) with what we're going to talk about now, okay? Tongue tie releases are really fashionable at the moment, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Over the last five to ten years, there's been a several thousand-fold increase in Medicare codes triggered with tongue ties. It is massive, and that's doctors doing it because we don't have a Medicare code for it. Yeah. So you've got to wonder how many um, dentists are doing it as well. Yeah. You're all young grads, okay? So you'll all decide what pathway you want to take and it will depend upon what courses you attend and what information you're given, okay? Mm -hmm. Did we, prior to releasing and cutting all these tongue ties 10 years ago, have tens of thousands of children walking around starving because they couldn't eat and with incredible speech problems? No. And have we now got this enormous population of kids that are just magical human beings? <laughs> no. So when should you do a tongue tie release? You as a dentist would need to have the education to know about feeding for why a tongue tie release is required in an infant, yeah. which means you need to be really switched on. You need to be like a lactation consultant sort of level. If you're comfortable, if you're going to say and market it, I'm going to do tongue tie releases, mm-hmm. you have to say that I am the equivalent of a lactation consultant in being able to provide the advice that your child needs a tongue tie release so that way you can improve your breastfeeding. Yeah. Okay. Vast majority aren't. Some are. Mm-hmm. Okay. And there is definitely still reasons to do tongue tie releases. It was a procedure that will still stay around, right? Yeah. Which means that if a patient presents you saying, look, this tongue's like anchored and my, my, my nipples are cracked, I can't breastfeed, um, it's terribly painful, your, your first step would be, okay, cool, maybe can I suggest maybe you go see a lactation consult or a midwife? Yeah. Okay? But at least then you've covered yourself. If they then yeah. come back and they've tried for two weeks to get through this and they've said, look, it's not working, um, okay, we need a tongue tie release, the lactation consult and the midwife and the mum have all requested it, okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Cool. Away you go. That way you've now had all the proper assessments and you're doing the procedure. Yes. Okay. Does it stop speech problems? No. Okay. There, there is no evidence that releasing a tongue tie in like an under one-year-old, yeah. even if it looks pretty firmly attached to the floor of the mouth, is going to prevent speech problems from developing. Mm-hmm. Right. So your main reason you do it when they're young is functional from a feeding perspective, yep. not a speech. Mm-hmm. If, however, you start getting to older kids, you know, say six or seven, and they 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 do have speech problems. Mm-hmm. Once again, as a dentist, are we speech pathologists? No. No. So can we say, okay, we've exhausted all non-surgical means until this point? 
And the answer is the answer is no. So in that step, same patient comes to you and says, my, my kid can't say um, TH words. They can't get their tongue to the roof of the mouth. You say, okay, cool. Can I get you to see a speech pathologist first? I'm not yeah. saying we're not going to do the procedure, but can you see them first? Just work through with them for a little bit and then we'll look at doing a surgical procedure on your five-year-old child. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and, and then, you know, commonly you might find that you still need to do the tongue-toe release or you've now solved a fair few problems. Yeah. If you're going to release a freedom, you are going to cause scar tissue. Yeah. Okay. Scar tissue can therefore stop the normal drifting of teeth that will occur as a child moves from a primary to a permanent dentition. You know, imagine the ugly duckling phase of big spaces, you know, then the canines come down and sort of push everything together. Mm -hmm. So when should you release a frenum tie? Um, You know, let's say you get a nice big maxillary frenum tie. Yeah. It should be after orthodontics. Mm-hmm. or if the orthodontic forces cannot close it, so you've got, you know, a fairly attached one, okay, that would be your main indication. The reason is the frenal tie is attached to the alveolus. The alveolus grows down. If you're seeing it in a two-year-old, you'll see that the, the frenum will move up as time goes on. So you may mm-hmm. not actually ever need to do the procedure. Yeah. I said, I know that that's pretty controversial, what we've just discussed. There's going to be some people that are going to want my head up, <laughs> okay? But... Um, Look, I'm a big fan of not doing surgical procedures unless there's really a need to. And uh, like anything in dentistry, you know, you'll all decide what you want to do. There's so much information and courses out there now, it's not funny. You need to pick what you're comfortable with because you have to sleep at night. And at the end of the day, doing dentistry will make you enough money if you just treat people ethically. Thank you so much for listening to the Dental Head Start podcast. I genuinely hope this is helping you become a better dentist. So if you like what you're hearing, make sure you subscribe on your podcast player and I want you to do me a favor. I want you to go to social media and share something that you've appreciated from us with one of your friends. That's how the word gets out. That's how more people gain and benefit from what we're doing. And if you're a dental student or a graduate and you want to get a head start, go to dentalheadstart.com to find everything we're doing to help dental students become great dentists. I just want to take a moment to thank our sponsor and ask a question. But how do you make the most out of your CPD? I think the first step is to make sure you've chosen the right CPD. And how do you know that unless you've seen it all? cpdjunkie.com.au is made so that all of the dental CPD in Australia and New Zealand is in the one place. We've got all of the webinars, all of the live courses coming up on the website, easy to find and easy to filter. And the second step, well... It's all in the free ebook on their website, cpdjunkie.com.au, the home of Australian dental CPD. Thank you for supporting dental students and graduates, and thank you for supporting the Dental Head Start podcast.